Okay, hello everybody and welcome to Investing with IVD sponsored by MarketSmith. Today is October 21st, 2020. I'm your host, Arusha Paris, and today we have Austin Lieberman on the show. Austin is a lead advisor for 7investing.com. Thanks for being here, Austin. Yeah, thanks for having me. A uh, big fan of IBD, big fan of yours, Arusha, and I'm um, just really happy to be here and thankful to be here. Thank you. Uh, on today's podcast, we are, are going to talk about the current markets. Uh, we're going to talk about the concept of not being afraid to buy an expensive stock, and then we will end the episode with a few current ideas. So let's get into the current market. The, the current market isn't a confirmed uptrend. Uh, we have distribution days, one on the NASDAQ, two on the S&P 500. Austin, what are your thoughts about this market? You know, it, it seems like every day there's, there's something to either be bullish and excited about or something to be bearish and nervous about, ranging from anything from politics to coronavirus to vaccines or on the bullish side or just anything, right? And yeah. It seems um, very stressful and nerve wracking, but if we just look at the history of the stock market, right? Volatility is normal. And um, at, at any point, the, the way I try to think about it is, I don't know if the market is fairly valued or overvalued. I try to think with a mindset that it's either like 10 to 20% overvalued or undervalued. And I think about the stocks I own this way too. Mm -hmm. At all times, I just don't know which one. And so when I invest, I try to invest with a long-term mindset and knowing that I need time on my side, and then that allows me to uh, kind of outperform that potential 10 to 20% either over, you know, being overvalued or undervalued. And so it just helps me kind of stay centered and, and humble as an investor to, to realize like, I have no idea what's going to happen in the market over the next week, six months or whatever. But I, it generally, if we look at history, the market goes up over, over longer time periods. Oh, no, no doubt. We, we have a, a long-term bias to the market. And I think an, a, one concept that you touched about, maybe go into this a little bit later, is knowing yourself, right? Knowing what works for you, what makes sense to you. And if that's working, just keep doing it. So, so those are very, very important concepts that, that you touched on uh, there. So let, let's get into first, you know, take a step back here. And, and how did you get involved in investing? And, and, and walk us through the path of uh, how you ended up at seven investing yeah um really kind of by luck is how i got involved investing and, and that's something that i've become very passionate about trying to change for people is not make it lucky that that somebody comes across and starts investing yeah. but hopefully get people more exposure to that and and if nothing else COVID and everybody being at home and as as much um negative uh, narrative as there is around like the retail traders and all the craziness that might be happening right now, investing is getting a lot more exposure, right? And so maybe we can get that momentum going in the right direction and help people become like long-term productive investors. And so, yeah, my story is I grew up in a family that um, we, we didn't struggle, but we lived paycheck to paycheck. Okay. Never talked about money. My parents were were too proud to admit that you know sometimes we struggled to pay our bills each month, or they they couldn't afford to do things for me, uh, and and so I didn't have good like a lot of exposure to the stock market. In fifth grade, which is actually really rare, we played a like a stock picking contest, That's and amazing. yeah, 
yeah, crazy in fifth grade. And <laughs> I just happened, I think we picked like four stocks, maybe five. And I don't remember all of them, but two of them were AOL and Disney because Peter Lynch style, right? Those were the yep. brands that I, I used AOL Instant Messenger all the time as a kid. And uh, I browsed the internet and then I loved Disney. And you're making those... me feel old, Austin, if you're, if you're <laughs> fifth grade and you're using <laughs> AOL at that point. You, you look great. You look super young and, and hip. Um, so, you know, I feel old too, so we're, it's all right. Um, but it was, the thing I remember from that is just in a matter of whatever it was, a, a few months or, or six months or whatever, Disney and AOL did really, really well. And it was cool. They had us ranked and stuff like that. And it was fun to see those rankings. And so I, yeah. I learned like what stocks are. Um, and then Going through college, I, I started college on a 50% scholarship, and this is back to the whole finance and money thing, right? Mm -hmm. And my parents were going to try to pay for the other 50%. I got a letter from the registrar's office two days before I went home um, for uh, Christmas break, basically saying that none of the tuition had been paid at the university. And and I talked to my parents, and I just realized, like they were trying so hard, but it wasn't realistic. It was, they were going to go into so much debt to try to pay for, for my college. So I packed up, moved back home, went to community college for the rest of that semester, worked and, and started in school, did some training um, and ended up commissioning as an officer in the air force. And your, your senior year as a cadet in ROTC, it's pretty obvious that you're going to graduate and have a job. So it's, there's, there's, things called cadet loans to kind of get your career started. Okay. They're meant to like help you move and pay bills and stuff like that. Cause you might not be able to work your last year of college as you're focused on training. Uh, I wasted like half of that on a cruise, two road <laughs> bikes for myself and my, at the time fiance, uh, we paid for like part of our wedding. I paid for our, um, my, my wife's engagement ring. And then I had about half left over and invested it or invested it in uh, what, you know, Jim Cramer was talking about on, on mad money, because I thought that was investing. And I bought like Annalee, which was a REIT, AT&T, because it paid a dividend. And then yeah. some like triple leveraged volatility index that looking back, it, they're like basically guaranteed to go to zero if yes. you own them long enough. And yeah. I lost like 50% of what I invested and thought investing was a scam and a ripoff. And didn't want anything to do with it. Yeah, so and, and really at that, oh, yeah, and, and really at that point, yeah, most people will quit. It's like all oh, this yeah. investing thing. It's, it's it is a scam. You know, they're gonna. It's a scam. I'm never gonna do this again. And they're gonna tell everyone else too. Hey, or they may or may not. But what depending whether they want to admit what they did. But um, that's where a lot of people will quit. So so yeah. really, what what helped you kind of not do that? Yeah, yeah, I did. I mean, I I did that, and then yeah. I just came across somebody at my first assignment in as an active duty officer in the military. So I had, you know, had an income, met real adults uh, after college and kind of a mentor of mine was just talking about how he had owned some stock in Netflix for a few years. And this is around like 2012, maybe 2013. He had turned like $6,000 into $90,000 or something wow. crazy. Yeah. And yeah. that that's that's rare, right? Like yeah. that doesn't yeah. always happen, but he had, he also owned some other stocks and was long-term oriented. And so I, that was the first time I really saw the 
life-changing impacts because he was a little later on in his career. He was at the point where he could leave the military if he wanted to and, and go do what he wanted because he had kind of yeah. reached financial freedom. That's and awesome. I was like, wow, okay. The investing long-term, if you do it the right way, can be a real thing. And then from there, just kind of dove in headfirst. I don't have any finance you know, um, professional or educational background in finance. I'm a criminal justice major, um, but I've just been a super fan of business and learning and podcasts. Um, and then you asked about the seven investing thing. I kind of had my own little email newsletter was talking about my process and, and writing and how I invest. Simon Erickson, the, the founder and CEO um, found me, reached out, we connected and um, he gave me an opportunity to, to join the team. And we, we launched in uh, March of 2020 and, and it's going pretty well so far. That, that's really cool. And, and we've had Simon on the, the show before. Uh, I, I think that's really interesting that you took something that you're passionate about and, and you, you kind of took it the next step. You started your own service and, and then got discovered. Uh, walk us through just a little bit about that, um, just kind of the process of how you discover stocks or how you learn stocks, because that, that's not an easy thing to, to do too. Uh, just especially if you didn't have any background. I, I was kind of like you where I, I, I was a bio major in, in college and, and I didn't yeah. do anything on stocks. And uh, but after I once I started working, I started realizing, yeah, you know, this money thing might be a good idea to start making more of. And uh, I, I just being around others who are getting into the markets and uh, reading around. Yeah, I, I started discovering and learning from other people who actually did well in the markets and so what so some of that process just walk us through about what you look for in stocks a little bit uh to 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 make you think that it's a good investment or not yeah sure and so um i i try to cast like a wide net right and i don't i don't call myself a growth investor or a value investor a lot of the companies I recommend, um, just because I, I love the business model, which we can talk about, are, are mm -hmm. kind of software-oriented companies. Um, and then one thing I do look pretty specifically for is founder-led companies. But I can kind of just share what the, the evolution of a, a company, how I might hear about a company, start the research, and then how it ends up becoming either a company I own or a recommendation. And so really, I, I try to read and, and listen widely, right? And so investing investing podcasts, um, which uh, this one, and then uh, this is my second favorite podcast, of course. Oh. And then my favorite is obviously Seven Investing. <laughs> so if you're looking to that, learn that, about that's investing, totally fine. <laughs> uh, uh, start there, right? And But yep. seriously, that's how I started learning is just finding investing podcasts that I connected with and related yeah. to. Um, but, but now, you know, I'm pretty active on Twitter. And so we see a lot of research firms or even companies are out there talking about, uh, you know, the, almost every company you can think of, if it's pub publicly traded, has a, a Twitter account. And so um, I'll, I'll scan Twitter. I read, I've found a couple companies that I own from, it was Deloitte's two years ago. Every year they oh, release the, yeah, a... The fastest, yeah, fastest 500, I think it's 500 growing companies in, in America. Mm -hmm. And every year that report comes out, I take all of them, I use Y charts and put them into Y charts, see if they're publicly traded, and then just kind of look at the quick, quick what the company does and some of the, the data around it, the fundamentals, and say, is this a company that I, I want? That's like a, a five second process. Yeah. If it's a possibility, then I'll add it to another list. And then that's where I dig deeper. And so once I have, 
you know, these inputs of companies that I think I'm interested in the industry because it's a, it's a big and growing industry. I, I think I'm interested in the business because it seems like they've got good management and uh, a product that, that is, they've got good sales and, you know, recurring revenue is something I like. It'll be on a list and it's easy to kind of throw a lot of companies out that don't meet those high level criteria to save Mm -hmm. yourself time. And then once I have that list and that could be 50 to hundred companies, that's the, the list of companies that I'll go really deep into. And then the way to do this is, and this is all publicly available is check the SEC website and the company's investor relations pages. Um, there's all kinds of events and webinars that these companies do and presentations where uh, they talk about their products and, and what their sales are listening to earnings reports. And so the types of companies that I'm really interested in right now, like I kind of talked about, are, are software-based. And the reason for that is because the world, as we've especially seen it now, but even before COVID, is forced to move more right. digital and right. more software, right? And so what yeah. used to be moats, these things like um, even vehicle production or uh, oil manufacturing and, and these different things like the distribution capacity that used to be called moats that are high capex and cost a lot of money to build out have actually started to become liabilities right and the companies that have digital products or a company like shopify that can expand stores almost instantly mm-hmm. and off and sign up more people who are moving business their businesses online can basically create more sales for little to no additional cost they don't have to produce a new physical thing that costs a lot of money or build out a new oil line or, or deliver a new vehicle. Um, very, uh, very scalable business models. And so I look for, um, you know, generally revenue that's growing 40% or faster a year, high gross margins. And what that looks like is like 80% gross margins plus. And then another kind of data point is dollar-based net expansion rate. And with software businesses, all that is, is if it's over 100%, that means customers are spending more each year. And if it's under 100%, then they're spending less. So generally, I like to look for 130% or so yep. dollar-based net expansion rate. That means that they don't have to spend as much marketing. They've got their customers and uh, they, they're able to get more spend from each customer as well as sign new customers. Perfect. So let's take a quick break here. But the the market is in an uptrend. But remember, we are in earnings season. So just make sure you know when your stocks are reporting earnings. When we return, we are going to talk about not being afraid to buy expensive stocks. We'll be back. I am here with Scott St. Clair. Scott's one of our senior product coaches at MarketSmith. Now, Scott, there are a ton of publicly traded stocks just on the U.S. I think it's over 5,000 stocks. Who has the time to go through all these stocks and find the very best ones? Yeah, most people don't, right? So what you need is a tool like MarketSmith. We have decades of research on what makes a great winning stock. So we've done all the research for you. So we're going to try to highlight those specific stocks with those great data points. So if you're looking for that next great potential big winner, orange stock ideas button, you just click on it and you've got some of the main reports that we use, including the Growth 250. Yeah, and the Growth 250 is the first list that I go through on the weekends. Yeah, it's the most popular one, but there are others. There's the Breaking Out Today, Stocks Near a Pivot, and then the Blue Dot List, right, which is very popular. It's going to show you the stocks with the best relative strength. 
So we've done a lot of the work for you. What you have to do is review these lists. You're going to come up with some of the best ideas in that current market environment. Perfect. Mark Smith saves you time and makes investment research that much easier. For more information, go to Investors.com slash podcast 2020. Austin Lieberman's our guest on Investing with IBD, sponsored by MarketSmith. Okay, Austin, uh, let's talk about the concept. And this is where most people, especially when they're starting off new, they don't want to buy expensive stocks. And I, I think let's first go into the the definition of what's an expensive stock or, or a few definitions we, we could really go into of, of pe- what the trap that people fall into. And then, then we can talk about why uh, you don't want to be afraid of that. So, so let's first go into... What is an expensive stock? Yeah, uh, great question and an important question, right? And so, you know, there's definitely stocks that people call expensive that are expensive and that I, you know, avoid. And so it's it's not as easy as just like, the Peter Lynch thing is like invest in what you know and invest in great companies is great and it's true in a lot of ways, but you do have to kind of dig into the numbers a little bit and make sure we're finding great companies, right? But mm-hmm. when you find a great company in an important industry with great management and great products, it is almost impossible to overpay. And the, the common examples, if we just look back at history, right, are um, the companies we see out there today, Amazon, Netflix, Google, like all of those super famous companies at this point. And so I actually pulled a a little chart, right? And uh, back to 2004, which is before the great financial crisis and almost, you know, arguably one of the worst times to invest over the last couple of decades, putting $10,000 into Alphabet, Amazon, Apple, Netflix, and Activision Blizzard. So you're talking about 50,000 total at that point. Yeah if you just held on, right, has turned in, and those were all arguably expensive stocks back then. Right. Uh, but also like products we all know, and they had great numbers. That's That would have turned into, you know, over $5 million, wow. turning 50,000 50, into over $5 million. So that's an example of what we're talking about. If you can find great companies, invest in them, and then hang on to them, it, it's almost impossible to overpay. And so- I still think those are those are really interesting and, and great companies, right? But um, there's there's a couple that are a little bit more relevant today. I mean, or or not trillion dollar companies today like Amazon and Apple. And so there's two Shopify and Zoom, right? They're mm-hmm. they're pretty popular out there. And I actually have a story with Shopify of a mistake I made, and I kind of fell into the trap of this is an expensive stock. I've already made fifty percent or more. I'm going to sell it and I don't like buy low, sell high, right? I don't want to give back these, these gains. So I own Shopify. I think I own 200 shares of Shopify back in, um, and I'm not looking at it 2016 or 2017, but honestly, it doesn't matter if like, no matter what (laughs) time I owned it back then up massively now. And, and, uh, I owned it at around $40 a share. And I think I sold it for 50 or 60. So I made a nice, 50% gain, right? Yeah. yeah. But it was expensive. I was reading articles about how Amazon was going to crush them and it was expensive on, uh, and you asked a very specific question, what's expensive. So generally it's like on a PE price to earnings Mm -hmm. ratio or price to sales ratio. Right. And so, um, there's certain numbers, like a lot of people say something over a 10 price to sales ratio is expensive or, or whatever, but 
that's how that's what we're talking about when we're saying expensive. Well, Shopify has gone from $60, which was expensive back then to $1,000 a share. And if I would have just held those 200 shares, I wouldn't have to be doing this podcast with you today. Uh, I would be, I would be on vacation with my feet. I'd be taking pictures of my feet on in sandals on the beach. Exactly. Yes. So, oh, well, and, and Austin, one, one, one other way for, uh, that people fall in the trap. And, and so those are, you're, you're right. Those are kind of the traditional uh, gauges, the price of earnings, price of sales, but people will also fall into the trap of, just looking at the price. So even a Shopify, well, it's maybe $400 earlier this year. Uh, and they're, and they, they're saying, oh, it's $400. I'm not going to pay $400 for a stock. I'll, I'll buy a stock that's $20. And meanwhile, here's Shopify going up you know, more than a double uh, during that time. And maybe that $20 stock has only gone up three points during that time. Yeah, great. Great point. And that's kind of the common thing is uh, associating the price of shares. So $20 versus $400 with whether or not a stock is overvalued and it has nothing to do with it. What, what matters is um, how many shares are issued and then either what, the, what their sales are and then, and then how it's valued from there. So yes, uh, don't associate, and especially when we're talking like penny stocks or something mm -hmm. sub $10, there's usually a reason it's it's sub ten dollars a share, uh, and, and those that's the one time I actually generally try to avoid stocks that are under ten dollars a share. Yep. Uh, because there's some reasons that go into that that make them uh, they tend to be uh, a lot riskier than than other companies. Yeah, um, and a lot a lot of times uh, if it goes over a hundred dollars a share, that you know that that's a big positive for me. If it has a, if it's a great company and now it's hitting over $100, uh, a, a lot, these, these days I'm focusing a lot, most of my stocks are over $100. Uh, yeah. They've done, they've done uh, that well to get over that price and they just actually might be getting rolling at that time where they can go from 100 to 200 pretty quickly. Yeah, yeah, so let's, let's talk about another one real quick and that's Zoom, yeah. right? Yep. Zoom is up, I don't know, 600% year to date or something like that. Yep, it was expensive when it IPO'd yep. a year ago or a year and a half ago at $60 a share. It was expensive at $100 a share. And people are saying it's expensive now. Right. Um, I think that Zoom is going to continue to outperform the market. And, and so I'm going to sound like I'm like eating my words here, right? Or I'm hypocritical. But I, I own Zoom for pretty much all of that 600% run up. And I just recently sold my shares. Okay. But I did not sell my shares because I think the price to sales ratio is too high or anything like that. Um, market cap, right, is is something that I look at in, in companies that I own. And Zoom has about $150 billion market cap. And so for me, when I look at that, it's harder for me to see Zoom doubling or tripling, which is something that I, I like to look for in the stocks I own. Mm -hmm. um, it's harder for me to see them doubling, doubling or tripling faster than some other companies that I, I really like right now. So full disclosure, I recently sold Zoom. I might change my mind and buy it again. Um, but at, at the same time, I still think it's going to outperform the market. And the, the thing I want to share is just like why these software businesses are so impressive and so scalable. And then especially Zoom specifically, their revenue in their most recent quarter grew 355% year over year. There's 
no business on the planet at that scale uh, that and that size that's growing as fast as Zoom. So they have $2.6 billion in annual revenue growing at 355%. I said I like companies growing faster than 45%. Yeah. And then that, that dollar-based net expansion rate, right, it was 130% plus. So that means current customers are spending 130% of uh, what they spent this year, next year. And so, so walk us through that that concept because that that that's um, that that's an important concept, especially when you're looking at software stocks, like you stated before. So, a company might come in and spend that 100% initially, right? They're like, okay, let's just try the the basic Zoom package, and and actually, I mean, we're we're a perfect example of this too. We 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 got a few licenses for Zoom initially, and now we slowly expand and expand, and now we're looking at upgrade stuff. So, so go through that kind of process of of, of why it goes over 100%. Yeah, that number matters. It, you know, it's, that's one of the most important numbers for these software businesses. And the question is why, right? Because it's an indication at, at how well they're serving their customers and how fast they're innovating and coming out with new products that their customers are buying, right? So mm -hmm. what that tells me is that just like you said, Zoom's customers, their current customers are probably buying more licenses and expanding. But if we look at what Zoom has done over the past uh, year or two years, they've released and expanded the Zoom phone. They just talked about opening up a marketplace where people can, can pay for specific services and build apps on top of Zoom and stuff like that. All of that stuff is being offered to current customers. And so when we see uh, customers are spending 130% uh, in the next year, they don't have to go do a bunch of sales and marketing, which can be really expensive. They don't have to get their brand name out there and, and try to bring on new customers. That's all stuff that they just, they release. And if you're a Zoom customer, you probably get the emails. They just send an email out. Hey, this is this is available. Yeah. Do you wanna try Zoom phone and simplify your communications? And that just means their customers are clicking on that, saying yes, and, and upgrading and spending more money. And it, it it's just a incredibly reliable indication that, uh, they're innovating, their customers are happy, and their customers are staying with them and spending more. Yeah, and and of course, and once you get used to this, or when you integrate some some of these software uh, in, into the service. Now, Zoom Zoom is one example, but like for instance, like a five nine. I mean, we we use five nine our as our phones is like that. The 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 switching costs are uh, insanely high. Even if you wanted to get off of it, you have to think really long and hard. Uh, do I really want to go through that whole process and switch to another thing or do, you know what, maybe I'll just go with this new five, nine service, uh, that they're the, or new add on that they've added versus maybe something else is better out there in the market. Yeah. Yeah. And last thing on zoom real quick, right. And this is what's so impressive. I talked about how fast these companies can scale yep. for very, very cheaply, right. They don't have to open a new manufacturing line or anything like that. In in Q3 of 2020, their annualized meeting minutes were 97 billion. So 97 billion minutes of meetings in, in Q3 okay. 2020. Okay. Q3 2021, 3.3 trillion oh my gosh. annualized meeting minutes. And so that's not necessarily all new customers, right? But that's the amount that people are using the platform. So they were able to, I don't know, whatever that is, 1,000x the, the service on their platform in a matter of a year, th that's unheard of. And it wasn't even possible, you know, 
a couple years ago to do that. But with the cloud and the internet and all that stuff, like businesses can now grow faster and more reliably than ever before. And this doesn't mean like there's going to be 10%, 20%, 30% pullbacks. It's going to happen. Mm. But if we think about five and 10 years down the road, I'm just very optimistic on, on businesses that are digital, able to scale and innovating, you know, like Zoom and even Five9 and many other companies out there. Oh, no, it isn't. Uh, like, like you, Austin, uh, I gravitate more towards software companies because they just make a lot of sense and because of that scalability. I, I still own both Zoom and Shopify, um, but uh, they're, I always just, I just know in the past, and, and I'm sure you've experienced this too, I've just done better at a lot of technology-related companies than other ones, just simply because I can understand them better. And in the end, they just seem to have a little bit more power when they're in favor. Yeah. So why aren't you on an island somewhere? Just <laughs> oh, I'm just kidding. <laughs> that's, that's, that, that is a good question. Still, I, I'm addicted to You still to this. hold them. You <laughs> still hold them. So that's why you haven't, <laughs> you haven't realized this. Yeah, you know, I the, the the sad thing is like even if I could go to an island somewhere, I'd be doing the same thing. You know, I so, know. I, so I, it, it is it's a great thing. I'm I'm like you. I'm addicted to the markets. I love finding yeah. great ideas, and it, you know, and you you know this too. It becomes so much more fun as you get better and better at this too. Yeah. Yeah, it's fun. And it's fun to share it with people too, which you, you all do a great job of. So. A absolutely. So uh, remember, with better quality items, a lot of times they are going to be sold at higher prices. And it's no different in the stock market. So coming up next, we are going to talk about a few ideas. Stay tuned. Market Smith will give you a huge edge in the stock market. Better stocks, bigger profits. Market Smith is the top research platform for IBD. It's just the best tool for individual stock selection. Everything within Market Smith is designed to bring those best stocks to the surface. It does a lot of the work for you of filtering down to the potential leaders. It's when you take the training wheels off and you're ready to invest on a more professional level. Market Smith will help you take control of your investment life. If you want to get serious about investing, start your membership today. We are back with Austin Lieberman on Investing with IVD, sponsored by MarketSmith. Okay, Austin, let's go over a few ideas. And the first one is uh, BioLife, and the ticker symbol is BLFS. And so what do you like about these guys? Yeah, so I'm going to go out on a limb and say that no one on this show has ever talked about this company true. before. Is yeah. that true? Yeah, right. yeah. I, I haven't, honestly, I haven't heard of this one. Uh, yeah, I wanted to, I wanted to, you know, bring some companies that maybe people that aren't talked about so much or that people, you know, haven't heard of as yeah. much. Um, so yeah, what they do is uh, the company develops and manufactures biopreservation tools and services for cells, tissues, and organs, including clinical grade cell and tissue hypothermic storage and cryopreservation, freeze media, and a related cloud hosted biologistics, cold chain management application for shippers. So I just read you the description from YCharts, which is a tool I'm a huge fan of, right? And so I'm not a scientist or biologist or anything like that. That's a very like technical description, right? But what the company basically does is they help cell and gene therapy companies. So when we hear about CRISPR and all of these different tests, even for coronavirus, all of this cell and gene therapy stuff, which I believe is an industry 
that as medicine gets more personalized and we're able to do more different tests with blood, I just, I just think naturally that market is going to grow a lot over the next 10 years. And again, I talked about, I'm not um, an expert by any means in anything medically related, right? Mm -hmm. But what I do believe, so when, in saying that, I'm, I'm not able to make a bet on a company that's going to get an FDA approval for some type of cell and gene therapy. I, that's just not what I invest in or, or how I do my research. And I'm not smart enough. I don't, I don't have that background. I'm a criminal justice major. Uh, but logistics and helping people that helping the companies that do that cell and gene therapy yeah. freeze it the right way, store it the right way, ship it the right way and thaw it the right way. They call it almost like a picks and shovel type exactly of company. What I was thinking, yep. Yeah. I'm not reliant investing in this company. I'm not reliant on an FDA approval. I'm just betting that cell and gene therapy as an industry is going to grow over the next five and 10 years, which the, it's pretty obvious that that's going to happen. Mm -hmm. And then I think BioLife Solutions, a $900 million company, so this is a smaller company, is, is going to continue helping those customers and, and grow over time with them as the industry grows. So it's kind of investing, and I own shares, investing in this company is my way of betting on um, cell and gene therapy without needing to get deep in the details of what trial and who's going to get the FDA approval and stuff like that. No, I, and um, I, I like that approach. And I, I've always liked the, the pick and shovels approach because then you don't have to necessarily pick a specific winner. You can just pick the trend and, and really go with uh, some of the, the ones that are, are providing the equipment to enable those trends. Are there any other kind of major competitors in this space for, for a bio, bio life or, or are they kind of doing they, something pretty unique? Yeah, and that's the thing is like, this This is a small position for me, right? They certainly have competitors. There's there's large companies that they compete with, but there's, a, there's another company called Cryoport um, that they directly compete with. And in fact, um, a few of their customers are BioLife Solutions customers and Cryoport customers okay. because it just makes sense to to have multiple kind of vendors if, if you're going to do that. So it's definitely something to watch out for is either a bigger company that's doing doing something like this, just kind of pushing them out of the market, which they've actually been around for a while. So I don't know that that's going to happen, um, but it's a competitive space for sure. I just think there's going to be room for multiple winners. And, and so yeah. just, you know, some quick details about the company. It's a, about a $900 million market cap company. They have, um, in, in the first half of 2020, they had 77% year-over-year uh, -year revenue growth, which is pretty good. That does include some acquisitions. They're, this company's kind of a serial acquirer of other okay. businesses to grow um, their capabilities, which is actually can be good if they, and they've done well. The stock's actually up about 1,000% over the last, uh, I think it's over the last five years. So one thing I look for is stocks that have outperformed to continue to outperform, yep. um, but it's still a $900 million company. So plenty of room for growth. Um, they've, they've got a, you know, some pretty marquee customers and this is just from one of their presentations, but um, Celgene is a customer. CRISPR is a customer. Editas is a customer. Wow. Uh, Novartis, um, Kite Pharma, uh, looking for, I thought there was one more I wanted to point out, but the, the point of that is you know, they've games, got, yeah. yeah, they've got some pretty reputable customers. It's not like they're just serving these, these super small companies. 
Um, and it's, it's performed well over the last five to 10 years, which is something that I, I look for in companies that I own. Perfect. So that's BioLife Solutions. The ticker symbol, once again, is BLFS. Let's go to our second stock, and this is GoodRx Holdings. And the ticker symbol for this is GDRx, and they just went public uh, in September. Yeah. So, you know, more people probably have heard of, of GoodRx, and um, you'll be able to tell I just – like we've talked about, I look for kind of big themes, right? And and mm-hmm. so um, cell and gene therapy, I think going to be big. And then what we've already seen to be big, especially with COVID, is digital health, telehealth, right. and in general, just making things more accessible to people uh, that once they had to had a painful process and they had to go do it in person. And so if there's anything that comes to mind when I think about that, um, going in person and it being a pain, it's getting medicine, right? Especially, <laughs> especially for people that are trapped in in their homes, especially yeah. for people that might have, uh, you know, certain diseases or or um, diagnosis. Yep. Older, the older population who is more at risk or immunocompromised, you know, with things like COVID. So, um, again, that's that's kind of the theme that I'm investing behind with this. And then I just like the fact that. Um, they are basically trying to bring patients and providers and, and um, pharmacy suppliers together through a really easy to use digital platform. They actually save customers a lot of money and they have created a reliable platform for in the way that they're able to save money is the providers and the the uh, even the, the care clinics and stuff that they're partnered with have a reliable source of revenue from from the customers on the platform that uh, there's that can help them grow the revenue. So actually, there's nearly three hundred billion dollars, and this is in the U.S. alone in um, costs from non-adherence. That's people that like get prescriptions and then never actually go get them filled. Wow. And so one of the selling points and how GoodRx is able to get the pharmacy providers on the platform is by saying we're actually helping narrow that gap. And so even though you might sell them for less, uh, we're going to be able to bring in more customers over time and more reliable customers and, and um, things of that nature. Wow. That's so, so how, how are they? So, so it, it's a platform that the, the customers are, are, are going so, so the customers are the, 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 the pharmacies at this point who are, or, so or the right it's, it's kind of two sided, right? So the, you, you've got consumers, um, and they say that they've had, they've all time, they have 20 billion in consumer savings on the platform. Yeah. And then can you still, can you still hear me? I can hear you. Okay. I just yeah. had a, I just heard a weird noise in my, in my oh. headphone. Um, uh, okay. So going, yeah. the, the customers on the platform are the consumers, which they've, um, all time, they've been able to save them. And this is from a presentation. They have uh, $20 billion in consumer yeah. savings, but then they also connect them with pharmacies and the advantage to pharmacies being on the platform is they get increased foot traffic because yeah. the customers of good RX are coming into, you know, their stores, which they could potentially sell them that other things sense. or other services right, or right, whatever. Right customer satisfaction is better. And then even pharmacy uh, benefit managers 
have found the platform to be a proven growth channel. They can build long-term relationships with customers. And then the manufacturers of the different types of medicines, um, again, it's about being able to engage and convert uh, users that are on the platform because they need, you know, medicine, they're able to convert that and and grow kind of sales that way. Yeah. A a lot of times the, the secret is you create a community, right? And then you're able to provide ways to monetize uh, that community. And it seems like that's yeah, what it's doing. Yeah. And it's almost like a social media platform that's mm. connecting in, in kind of the simplest terms, that's connecting users to businesses that are trying to sell stuff in one way or, no, or the other, except arguably GoodRx could be a platform that is, you know, really, really helping people. Whereas there's arguments to be made how helpful social media platforms can be True. to our True. attention spans and, and stuff like that. <laughs> Uh, and then just, you know, real quick, the, the opportunity, right? So they've got a slide in here. Um, Zillow is a pretty huge company and the, the real estate market is 2.8 trillion. Um, Chegg is a, is a book company and the education market is 1.5 trillion. Um, booking.com is, is a, a pretty large company and we're talking, you know, um, hundreds of billions of dollars, the size of the, some of these companies or, or at least multiple billions of dollars. Uh, in the, it's a $1.5 trillion travel industry. Healthcare is a $4 trillion industry, which is as large as um, travel and education and then some put together. And so that's the size wow. of opportunity that, that GoodRx has. And then from selling um, uh, pharmacy and, and medicine and stuff, they can, they're also trying to expand into different services and consultations and, and telehealth. So there's a lot of growth opportunities there. No, that, that's really interesting. I mean, I've seen this company before. Um, I just haven't really had the time to look at it, but you've definitely made me much more interested, in it, especially with the, the earnings and sales are there, which is not always uh, the case for a lot of newer IPOs. So, so that's GoodRx, uh, ticker symbol once again, GDRx. And let's go to the final stock. And, and this is one that you're not necessarily optimistic on, and, and it's big commerce and it's ticker symbol is BIGC, and uh, why why aren't you as optimistic about this company? Yeah, and so kind of full circle, right? We talked about expensive stocks are expensive for a reason. I agree with that a lot of the times. Sometimes I think we have to watch out for them, and I could be very wrong on this company, but it just, I think it's a good company, but I just feel like this is one where it's a little bit excessively valued. And let me talk about why, and, and I'll talk about it compared to some other popular e-commerce platforms that are out there, Etsy, um, even C Limited, which has, um, it's an international company that has an e-commerce um, aspect to it, and then Shopify, right? So we talked about price to sales ratio before. Shopify has a price to sales ratio of 57, okay. and their quarterly revenue growth was um, 74% year over year. Big Commerce has a price to sales ratio of 46, which was, again, Shopify's was 57. Right. And their um, quarterly year over year revenue growth, and I thought I had it in front of me, but it's not, is around, I believe, 40% or, or even lower. And actually, I want to, I thought I had that and let me, let me pull that up real quick. Um, okay. 
so so shop shopify was so 57 and then the 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 growth was 74 for big yeah. commerce was 46 i'm trying to pull this up okay um So do you think I could pick up just saying like yeah, and yeah. big big commerce? Um, yeah, Sam, you guys will to be move able from to Shopify. Cut that part out, right? And okay, okay. So Shopify has a price to sales ratio of fifty-seven, okay. and revenue growth year-over-year year revenue growth of ninety-seven percent, almost one hundred percent revenue wow. growth. Wow! Wow! Okay. Big commerce has a price to sales ratio of forty-six, so only a little bit lower than Shopify's. And in their most recent quarter, year-over-year year revenue growth was 33%. Oh. So I have not studied big commerce deeply. They're an e-commerce platform. E-commerce is a very, very popular trend, as we know. But there's some companies that I believe we need to be wary of. And when a company like Shopify has a price-sales ratio of 57, growing at 100%, growing revenue yeah. at 100%, that's pricey. But then when big commerce has a price to sales ratio of 46 and it's only growing at 33%, I just, there's other places that I would rather invest my money. Um, and then Etsy, you know, price to sales ratio of 15, 15, one five, and they're growing yep. revenue at 136% wow. year wow. So even if I wanted e-commerce, I just think there's better places to invest in e-commerce than, than uh, big commerce. Um, I'm not short. I wouldn't short it, uh, but I just I'm just not interested in owning it right now. No, and and that makes sense too, because sometimes when well, actually a lot of times when the markets are doing really well, a lot of companies that were thinking about going public, they quickly rush in. It's like let's trick, yeah. let's try to get in there while while the getting's good, right? And so you do have to be a little bit more uh, cautious and and do more due diligence for some of these newer companies, especially ones like a big commerce that doesn't have uh, any earnings right now. Uh, they're, they're coming out more a lot of times on, on the promise. And yep. when you have other really great options out there, it's, you, you have the luxury of picking and choosing. I agree. So there are a few ideas that are worth considering adding to your watch list. Thanks Austin for joining us today. Yeah, had a blast. Thanks for having me. Um, look forward to just continuing to listen to the podcast. Thank you. Perfect. Thanks. Uh, next week, we will have Charles Harris on the show. Uh, Charles is a portfolio manager for O'Neill Capital Management and, of course, a returning guest to the show. So that's it for this week on Investing with IBD. I'm Arusha Paris, and thanks for listening. And for this week's notes and charts, make sure to go to investors.com slash podcast, where you'll find details for each episode in the podcast episode section. And make sure to subscribe, rate, and review our podcast if you haven't already. We'd really appreciate it. You can also send us your questions and comments to investingpodcast at investors.com. We would love to hear from you and may use your comments on an upcoming episode. This podcast is for informational and educational purposes only, and nothing should be construed as a recommendation to buy, hold, or sell any securities. Make sure to consider consulting with your financial advisor before making any investment decisions.